Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cracking Addiction with Philippe Noren and Fergal Armstrong. In the episode of Cracking Addiction today, we're going to be talking about nitrous oxide, or NANGS as it's colloquially known on, on the streets. So nitrous oxide it falls under the classification of inhalants, and it's quite popular amongst the, the adolescent age group. And in fact, Fergal, when I was preparing for this uh, episode, I came across a 2020 st- survey from the UK, um, and this was from England and Wales, and it found that amongst 16 to 24-year-olds, 9% had tried uh, nitrous oxide in the year prior, which is second only to cannabis amongst recreational drugs. Mm. I wasn't aware it was so popular or, or had uh, such widespread availability. Are you surprised by results like that? No, I'm not. I mean, when, when you consider that originally it was, it, it, it was invented as laughing gas and, you know, they used to have laughing gas parties, you know, they used to have social gatherings in the Victorian era, you know, everyone come around to someone's house and inhale the nitrous oxide and start rolling around laughing. So it's an inhalant, it's a euphorogenic inhalant. Um, and uh, unfortunately, not a lot of people know this, and I suppose this is why we're talking, it is also associated with harm. But I suppose really it's important before we go into the harms of nitrous oxide, we need to understand what it is medically. So it's Nitrous oxide, yes, it was it was described as laughing gas, but actually it's a an, an a gaseous anesthetic agent. So you can actually uh, you know contribute to anesthesia by uh, using nitrous oxide, and it also um, gives you a sense of relaxation. And it does this because it is an NMDA receptor antagonist, and as we know, NMDA receptors they're one of the receptors for the glutamate, the main excitatory neurotransmitter in the brain. So effectively it blocks rapid glutaminergic signaling and therefore it contributes to sedation. And that's how it has its medical use. And it's still used medically in, uh, in anesthesiology or anesthesia. I mean, I remember when I was training in the, in the anesthetic department in North Wales, um, you know, I used to give nitrous oxide as part of my anesthetic regime. That was many years ago. And I guess that ready availability uh, is is one thing, but I guess also the, the speed of onset is is the other one, Fergal, because essentially, as you mentioned, these are inhalant, um, this is an inhalant drug. Yeah. And once, it, once it's inhaled and it crosses the pulmonary bed, the onset of effect is, is really a few seconds. It can uh, take onset yeah. within 15 to 30 seconds. Admittedly, yeah. the, the, the duration of effect is around, I think, 15 to 30 minutes or so. Mm. But usually people are using multiple uh, yeah. cartridges, canisters, uh, yeah. and uh, the, the effects do pile up. But that's, that speed of onset is, is, is yeah. quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's one of the reasons why it's, it is misused. But I think we need to go back to the availability to find out why it's available. So it's, it's used in anesthesia. It's, you know, dentists used to use it a lot. But it's also you. It's also freely available, and it's not restricted. At least not in Australia. It's freely available as canisters, whose purpose is to actually uh, inflate balloons, and also uh, it's also supposed to whip up cream as well, isn't it? Indeed, it is. Yeah. So you can get it. Uh, you can get. You can buy bucket loads of the stuff perfectly legally. Uh, it's not controlled. It's not a controlled substance at all. And I guess the mechanism of using these canisters is, is also interesting in that they have to be cracked 
and usually the gas is then um, taken in by the body. Some people use um, balloons at the end to kind of uh, get the gas and then uh, inhale from the balloon. I have seen people in try and inhale directly from the canister as well, and that's caused a few issues as well that I've seen, yeah. which we'll talk about later. But it is a bit arduous in terms of extracting the gas from from the yeah. uh, the product source, isn't it? Yeah, they say there's about eight grams of gas in every canister, and you know, eight grams of any gas is not that much. Yeah. Um, so you got to use. I mean, people are using uh, nangs who uh, are misusing nangs for for their for the clinical effect. They can use fifty to hundred nangs a day. And that just speaks to the dedication they have in trying to achieve some form of euphoria with this drug. Indeed. Yeah. Now, you've mentioned the euphoric effects and also the fact that it does cause sedation as well. That mm. combination is is quite interesting, isn't it, in terms mm. of the, the reinforcing kind of qualities of, of nitrous oxide and how sometimes it can be hard to, to wean people off nitrous in the sense that, I've seen um, a lot of predominantly adolescents who've used a lot of nitrous and uh, we'll talk about the harms and the systemic effects of uh, prolonged exposure to nitrous oxide. But trying to get people to, to wean or stop their nitrous use, even with evidence of, of harm, I find quite difficult. And I think it's that euphorogenic effect, but also the, the sedative properties that, that make it really a hard drug for, for patients to seize. Is, has that been your experience as well? Yeah. I mean, you've, you've just touched on one of the definitions of addiction, isn't it? Where, you know, you, you continue persistent use despite harms. I mean, that's one of the DSM-5 criteria. But yeah, it is true that, you know, nitrous is one of those substances that people do continue to use. And that speaks to the purpose that uh, drugs serve in someone's life. I mean, no one woke up in the middle of the night as a small child excitedly thinking to themselves, you know what, when I grow up, I'm going to become a you know, substance use uh, dependent person. I'm going to use drugs. We all, we all, as human beings, we all have pain. We all suffer in life. And so the problem is that some people find ways of coping with that pain that is maladaptive and that causes harm. And so... You know, unless you address the underlying reasons for drug use, you're never really going to actually minimize the drug use itself. You know, lecturing teenagers on, you know, you shouldn't do drugs because it's harmful for you, that just doesn't work. So, you know, why do they use the drugs? Are they bored? Are they in pain? Are they anxious? You know, what, what's, what's going on? And how do you then treat the underlying causes of that drug use? And that's a much more difficult question. But unless you identify the answers to that question, you are going to continually meet and confront persistent drug use in this in this cohort. And I guess um, throughout this episode thus far, we've hinted at some of the harms associated mm. with, with nitrous oxide. And I guess we might as well run through them and, and go through some of the organ systems that, that are affected by, by yeah. nitrous oxide. Um, and I guess we'll start off with the neurological system. And I, the main um, side effect that, that we know of with, with nitrous oxide is, is, is its effect on B12 and how it inactivates B12 and, and the harms associated with that. But I think we'll take a step back, Fergal, and, and, and Mike asked you a bit about um, B12 pathophysiology and how <laughs> nitrous oxide uh, turns active B12 into inactive B12. And I guess yeah. going through the importance of B12 for, for DNA synthesis yeah, and the yeah. subsequent effects on the All system. Right. So very briefly and very simply, nitrous oxide oxidizes cobalt in vitamin B12 
from the one plus to the two plus. And that therefore renders it inactive. And there are two forms of nit active nitrous oxide. One is adenosyl cobalamin and the other one is methyl cobalamin. And unless you have active adenosyl and methyl cobalamin, you don't actually have um, you know, the, the active vitamin B12. And these these ends these these substances are very important in the in the um, function of key enzymes in a whole biochemical pathway. So, for instance, adenosyl cobalamin is vital for the function of methylmalonic coenzyme A mutase, MMA -co MM -coa -M. and another and methylcobalamin is actually very important for the function of methionine synthase. And if we go to if we go to methionine synthase, bottom the bottom line is methionine synthase does what it says in the tin. It produces methionine, and methionine is a key protein, so a key amino acid for the production of myelin. And without myelin, you have nerve and brain degeneration. You also have some upstream accumulation of precursor products, which then allows us to. And, and we'll talk about the, the identification of deficiency syndromes and the, the use of precursor products to identify deficiency in a, in a moment. But suffice it to say, if you've got no methionine synthase, you've got no methionine, you've got the inability to form myelin, which is bad for the brain and bad for the nerves. Then on the other hand, if you've got uh, hypofunctioning uh, adenosylcobalamin, then you are unable to convert methyl tetrahydrofolic to tetrahydrofolic acid. And tetrahydrofolic acid is the key product that allows you to produce DNA. It's one of the key products that allows you to produce DNA. So another downstream problem is you've got the inability to produce DNA. So the bottom line is NANGs, B12, NACR, sorry, nitrous oxide, NACRs, B12, which then does two things. It stops you producing methionine. It stops you producing tetrahydrofolic acid. Mm-hmm. So what are the effects of that? So if you've got no methionine, you've got, demyelin, you've got no myelination. If you've got no myelination, what does that happen? Well, that causes subacute combined degeneration of the cord, uh, which is a neurological degenerative disorder associated with the loss of balance, uh, loss of reflexes, and, and you know, spinal cord pain. And if you've got no tetrahydrofolic acid, then that causes it, uh, omegaloblastic anemia. So effectively, you've got neurological disease and you've got hematological disease, which are the main manifestations of NANG misuse, secondary to inactivation of B12. That's that fascinating, next? Fergal. And I think the thing also to take away from it, this is that nitrous oxide use and chronic nitrous oxide use causes a functional B12 uh, deficiency. So you yeah. can actually have... Um, on a blood test, a normal B12 level that yeah. does not show the active B12 that is yeah. the act, which is the marker of that DNA synthesis. So yeah. you can have the functional B12 deficiency with a normal pathology test. So I guess my question to you, Fergal, is I've seen some clinicians do um, tests for MMA levels or, or homocysteine levels. Do you do do you do any? fancy tests at all or check for active B12 for some of your patients with nitrous oxide? Well, I think we need to explain what those blood tests are. So I think really it's important to understand that um, 
MMA is methylmalonic acid and homocysteine is homocysteine. And these are precursor products that are elevated. And so we know that homocysteine is elevated in both in the presence of B12 deficiency and also in folic acid deficiency. And we know that um, uh, MMA, methylmalonic acid, is elevated in the presence of B12 deficiency on its own. So that gives you some kind of ability to work out relative deficiency states. The other thing is, it's important. As you, I just want to emphasize the point that you've introduced that you know the functional deficiency does not show up in blood tests, and really we know actually that nitrous oxide misuse actually causes a spurious elevation of B12. And you know that there's also this the corollary where you get a spurious reduction in B12 levels without um, without functional deficit and such. You know drugs like Dilantin and also the combined oral contraceptive pill these will actually lower your B12 levels. So the question then is, how do you actually diagnose proper B12 deficiency? Well, moving away from the presence of, uh, of, B, of um, nitrous oxide, you know, if you really want to be sure about a B12 deficiency, yes, it's nice to have a low B12, but really you cannot really diagnose it unless you've got an elevated MMA and also having an elevated homocysteine gives you that additional information. In the context, however, of uh, nitrous oxide use, I don't think that those enzymes or, or those those blood tests are add any value because it causes a functional deficit. So if you suspect B12 deficiency due to uh, nitrous oxide use, you are going to get normal blood levels of of, um, of um, uh, you know B12. It, it I suppose functionally it can cause a it can cause a rise in MMA, but I think it's more important to actually identify the use of nitrous oxide in the clinical picture, stop the nitrous oxide and then flood the system. It's my usual practice basically to flood the system with, um, with B12. Then the thing is, here's, here's a question for you. Do, even though you know that nitrous oxide causes a dysfunction of B12 and there really isn't actually a deficiency of the molecule, do you actually treat uh, NANG misuse or subacute combined degeneration of the cord with B12 injections? In the context of nitrous oxide, I mean, I do, but I'd be interested in your in your in your thinking on that. As far as I'm aware, there's no real evidence in this in this sphere. Uh, <laughs> yes. The cases that I've seen, we have treated, especially especially if there's neurology, we treat. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, and and I think this is one of the interesting things. Sometimes the the neurology that we see does resolve once the nitrous oxide use is seized and B12 is replaced. However, that's not a guarantee. So even yeah. if there is neurology as a result of nitrous oxide use, so say someone's got a polyneuropathy or something along those lines, um, unfortunately, sometimes the damage can be permanent despite abstinence yeah. from nitrous oxide and B12 yeah. supplementation and even parenteral B12 yeah. supplementation. Yeah. Um, sometimes there can be improvement, but there's no guarantee, unfortunately. Yeah. So we do treat for what it's worth just because the harms of, of, of using the treatment are minimal. Mm. But I think we're doing that without a robust evidence base, um, and I, I, yeah. I'm thinking you're you're somewhat similar, right, Fergal? Yeah, I, I if I have a good going case of subacute combined degeneration of cord secondary to B2 nitrous oxide use, I will ab advocate abstinence, and then I will give parenteral B12 every second or third day for a couple of weeks until there's no further improvement in symptoms. Even though theoretically abstinence itself is enough to stop that, but you know you you just want to cover all bases. The other interesting point is that 
there's two interesting points. First of all, there are certain uh, clinical guidelines that advocate the use of the um, uh, supplementation with methionine because functionally, the reason why functional B12 deficiency causes subacute combined degeneration of the cord is because it causes a methionine deficiency. So I always, I always advocate that we replace meth with methionine, which is an amino acid. And then the other issue is, do you actually um, supplement with um, tetrahydrofolic acid? Because you can actually give synthetic folic acid, i.e. tetrahydrofolic acid, in, in tablet form that actually bypasses that metabolic enzyme step that is B12 dependent. Uh, so you can actually replace that. So um, if I have any hint of any anemic um, problems or any, any rise in the MCV, then I will also do that. I mean, that's another interesting point. I mean, you know, to what extent do you use an MCV to diagnose functional or even actual B12 deficiency? It's, it's one of those things, as you mentioned, megaloblastic anemia is a sign of B12 deficiency. It kind of just adds one of those tools to our armamentarium. It's not, pap it's not uh, pathological, as in there are a lot of things that can cause a raised MCV. There are a lot of differentials there. But in, the, in this clinical setting, it's, again, one of those markers where we could yeah. suspect it. I mean, the interesting thing about a raised MCV is, yes, it's a marker of B12 deficiency. It's also a marker of alcohol, hmm. thyroid disease, yeah. um, myelodysplasia. So you can actually have someone who's misusing alcohol and also misusing NANGs coming up with a coming up with a raised MCV. And you've actually got to be aware of that entire range of differentials. So we've talked about uh, you know megaloblastic anemia and subacute combined degeneration of the cord. You know, and we've used these terms. Philippe, do you want to explain what megaloblastic anemia anemia is? So anemia is essentially when you have less or decreased red blood cells and megaloblastic uh, anemia is when those red cells are larger than they're normally yeah. meant to be. So there are three types of uh, anemia. There's microcytic when the red cells are smaller than they're meant to be, yeah. normocytic when they're the same size as they normally are and yeah. macrocytic. So yeah. when the red cells are larger than they are. Yeah. And the, the the reason we have these classifications is different disease processes can cause different types of anemia. And when someone has a particular type of anemia, we can try and identify the cause of it and treat it appropriately. Yeah, yeah. And what about what is subacute combined degeneration of the cord and how does that present? So subacute combined degeneration of the cord is... We were talking a bit about um, myelin, which is nerve linings, and how they they are affected by B12 deficiency. So subacute combined degeneration of the cord is a degeneration of the um, the dorsal and lateral columns of the spinal cord um, due to that those myelin sheaths getting demyelinated or or not having as much fat in them or around them as they normally have. So it, it's it's a, a disease where you get um, decreased sensation, decreased functioning, um, and it's par uh, worsening paralysis over time. So it, it is a quite significant pathology. And it does cause central neuropathic pain as well. I mean, I think it's really important to emphasize that it's not a painless condition. No, it is. It does cause pain. So it causes pain, sensory disturbance, and motor disturbance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and all from laughing gas yes. at the end of the day. Yeah. And I, I guess that's one of the big take-home messages here as well, because this mm. is a readily available product. You can get this from stores. Mm. There's no real restriction on buying it, yeah. and yeah. children can buy it pretty easily. There's no yeah. real age restriction on, on no. obtaining it. So it's something that is 
omnipresent in many respects. You don't have to go searching very hard to find it. And uh, as I mentioned at the start of this presentation, it is one of those um, drugs that is quite ubiquitous in its usage amongst adolescents and in particular mm. young adolescents yeah. with potentially dire consequences. Would, yeah. you, would you agree with that? David? Absolutely. It's not just also the organ, dis the organ dysfunction due to B12 inactivation. You know, when you're cracking open these nangs and inhaling them directly, you can get third degree cold burns. You know, I've had patients who need plastic surgery repairs to various parts of their face. Not only that, though, uh, it's a pressurized gas. So there's always yeah. the risk of, you know, uh, barotrauma and pneumothoraces yeah. and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it, it, is, it is one of those things that's, um, that can cause quite significant um, injuries just by route of administration as well. And those yeah. pressurized yeah. gases, it's, it's, it's quite dangerous. Absolutely. So I guess in the episode of Cracking Addiction today, we've had a wide-ranging discussion on nitrous oxide or NANGs. We've talked about um, how NANGs work, the, the pathophysiology of, of the B12 deficiency associated with nitrous oxide use, and also the different organ systems affected. So thank you again for your attention and company on this episode of Cracking Addiction. Please remember to like and subscribe to both the YouTube channel and the podcast. So thanks again for your company and bye for now.